Hey everyone, it's Jim Surik. Thanks for joining. I really appreciate it. So in this podcast, I'm interviewing Robert Greenberg. Robert currently is the executive chairman at the Alfred Mann Foundation. But Robert has a very interesting background and career in the med tech space. He is an MD and a biomedical PhD engineer. So pretty smart guy. And uh, his, his first role after his education was actually in the FDA. Robert was recruited out of the FDA by Al Mann. For most of you that have listened to me on these podcasts, I've talked about Al because I worked for him at two different companies. And he was one of the most prolific entrepreneurs in the med tech space. Everything from pacemakers to pain management to cochlear implants and to a company that Robert was the president and CEO of called Second Sight. Second Sight is currently publicly traded and it's creating vision for the blind and they have launched a new product that we'll talk about that is going to be able, we're hoping, right, that the technology is going to provide sight to all types of blindness. So just some incredible technology that's being developed. And then we go into, you know, his career. We talk about some of the people that helped him and um, some of the same experiences we had together with Al. Cause it's, it's kind of interesting. It's, it's some, um, uh, just kind of some fun things to talk about. And, um, then we go into the Al Mann Foundation and all the great things that are coming out of it. So for some of you listening, some of my, uh, my, peers, friends that are working at Axonics. If you didn't know, Axonics came out of the Alfred Mann Foundation, which is where Advanced Bionics came for the pain management, which is now Boston Pain, and uh, the Cochlear Implants, which is now part of Sonova. So um, they're just leveraging their technology, and then they've created an incubator to bring on other companies to help mentor and mature to get to commercialization. So it's just a great, interesting podcast. So without further ado, hold on to your seats. Let's get at it. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Medical Sales Nation. This is Jim Surik, and uh, I am uh, excited to have our guest for this podcast, Robert Greenberg, and he has uh, an, an incredible career. Our paths crossed as we were working for a gentleman by the name of Al Mann in the past, and uh, and he's continued that legacy for working uh, currently with the Alfred Mann Foundation as uh, the executive chairman. So, um, but Robert, if you could just give a little bit more detail on who you are, your background, um, and uh, we'll go from there. Thanks, Jimmy. Uh, pleasure. To, thanks for having me on. And sure. uh, so uh, I, I guess I guess my career kind of started at uh, Johns Hopkins, uh, and I did a uh, an MD PhD program there. The uh, PhD was in biomedical engineering, and my, my research topic was electrical stimulation of the retina. So I kind of had a dream that we could electrically stimulate the retina um, and create a retinal prosthesis, just like a cochlear implant to restore vision to the blind. Um, after that, worked for a little while as a uh, medical officer at the FDA, so reviewing uh, applications 
thought that would be an interesting uh, way to kind of learn about what was the latest cutting edge technology were, would be things that were kind of going through the FDA process. And, and while I was there, met the fellow you mentioned, Alfred Mann, the serial medical device entrepreneur. And uh, he, uh, he encouraged me to come out to Los Angeles and see what uh, he was doing um, in LA. Uh, and met a fellow, Joe Shulman, who was the then the the director of the Alfred Mann Foundation. So it was a, a nonprofit um, research foundation slash medical device incubator. And uh, the rest, as they say, is history. Kind of sure. uh, came out to the came out to L.A. Uh, worked at the Mann Foundation for a little while, and about about a year into that, uh, one of the investors in Advanced Bionics, Sam Williams, had an interest in developing a um, a cochlear implant for the eye. So it was kind of the dream project. Um, went out and talked to him about some of the ideas I had for that. And uh, the next day, he, he called Al and said, I, I think we should start a company. And uh, <laughs> they, uh, Al, Al called me later that afternoon and said, would you be interested in running it? And uh, I thought for about five seconds. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then said yes. And so and that's kind of how Second Sight got started and then uh, ran Second Sight through uh for quite a while um uh kind of brought uh, this retinal prosthesis to market in europe first and then the united states we got reimbursement for it uh got it on the market got that sales to about a 10 million dollar run rate and we actually took the company public in 2014 uh and um so that's been going really well and then we launched recently launched a new clinical trial for a device that will directly stimulate the brain, so bypass the eye entirely um, uh, to treat all blindness. And uh, those trials are, are going well. There are six patients implanted so far. And um, so the timing was good to, um, you know, Al Mann passed away a few years ago, as you yep. know. And so the timing was good to kind of take a step back, you know, while still supporting this this Orion trial, which which I felt was really significant and important, both for the company and also for obviously for all blind patients. Um, but it was a chance to uh, to take a step back and um, and do some work at the foundation on some other projects as well. Sure. And so that's what, that's what I'm doing right now. Yeah. So most people, it's really interesting. Well, because I'm working with um, you know younger generation coming up in the medical device, they don't know who Al was and what he accomplished. And you know, I just encourage everybody listening to this, if you get a chance, look up uh, Al Mann and his career because he is is one of the most prolific entrepreneurs in the medical device field. And uh, you can learn a lot from him. And it's funny is that my first interaction with Al, I was, it was about 2000, early 2003. And I had a two and three-year-old um, at the time, and it was a Monday night because I'll never forget this. I'm giving I'm giving him a bath. Um, so it's about five six o'clock Central Time, and I'm giving them a bath, washing their hair, and the phone rings. My wife picks it up. She's downstairs. She yells up. She goes, "Jim, Jim, yeah." I said, "Yeah, honey, I'm giving the kids a bath." She goes, "Yeah, some guy by the name of Al Mann's on the phone," <laughs> and I go, um, "Come upstairs." Grab the kids so they don't drown because I'm taking this phone call. So I get on the phone with him and he's like, hey, Jim, it's Al Mann. I said, yes, Al. Yes, sir. And he goes, um, yeah, I heard you know how to start sales forces and stuff and manage them. Uh, I got this company, this pain management company that I'm starting. Um, I need you to come out here on Thursday. I was like, yes, sir. <laughs> it wasn't like a conversation. It was more like, 
I need you to come out here. I need you to talk to me. And uh, you'll come to my house on this Thursday night. You'll interview on Friday, depart Friday you know, evening. I was like, yes, sir. Okay, my uh, assistant will be in contact. That was the conversation. That's and it was awesome. <laughs> 30 minutes later. This is Al's assistant. What, uh, here are the flights that we're going to put you on. Like, perfect. So, but that's just the way he I, was, right? He, he was so on top of it. It's funny because the story when I first met him was, was quite, quite similar. Uh, and I was kind of you know, incredibly fortunate to have been able to work with him closely for 20 years. But um, when I first met him, it was actually, I got a call from uh, Joe Shulman, who was running the foundation. I was uh, working for the FDA at the time. And he said, my boss, and I didn't know who he was. So at least you, you had the advantage. You knew who he was when he called. I, um, Joe called me and he said, my boss, Al Mann, who at that point I had no idea who he was, uh, is going to be in D.C. And, and wants to meet you. Um, and I said, OK, fine. Um, and I was in Baltimore and my uh, car, uh, my car broke down. And so oh, uh, so I had to, I had to like, I was scrambling. I went to rent, had to rent a car to go down to DC to meet him. And I, and I go to the, I meet him in the basement of the hotel he was staying at. And, um, he, uh, he was giving a talk and, uh, he, he gave me a copy of the talk and it was this famous talk that, that you may have heard Al give about capital, capital, capital. Yes. It's, uh, this is like the, it was, it was Al's top 10. So it was like David Letterman. Uh, David Letterman's top 10 list. So Al Mann had his top 10 list of what makes a successful company. And I think one through five were all capital. And uh, sure. It was, uh, it was always, it was an entertaining talk, but he, yeah. he gave me a copy of the talk. He's like, come out to LA. But yeah. It, yeah, it was one of those things that, you know, you come, come meet him at this time and, <laughs> and he's going to be there. And uh, yeah. it's not really a conversation about it. Yeah, exactly. Very was, driven. Very good. Yeah. So now a couple questions because. You know, with, um, you know, I'm interviewing on the podcast, we do a lot of talks about sales, sales management, leadership, but we also, I also interview CEOs, executives within the medical device industry, mostly from a startup perspective, because, um, like I've, I've interviewed folks that were going to law school at Northwestern who ends up Jonathan Gunn. He ends up building a company called Brightseed using predictive analytics and uh, artificial intelligence on instruments to um, an individual, Kaushal, um who runs iNook. Have you heard of iNook? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I know. Yeah. So, you know, he comes out of the defense industry because his family has an incident with... Um, with diabetic retinopathy. And so he starts looking into it, builds this company, you know, predictive analytics, artificial intelligence. And so there's all these different pathways that people really find themselves in that I don't think they thought they were going to be in when they started. And I, and the reason why this is interesting, I think to a lot of people, especially those, I have a lot of um, folks who listen to this that are actually in college and or first year, second year out of college looking to break into med device. How do they do that? I have one daughter who's graduating in this spring who's freaking out about her career. What is she going to do? And I, and I say, just get in the game because you don't know where you're going to end up. And I say, from all the people that I talk to and have interacted with and have been blessed to meet over the years, you just never know where your career is going to go as long as you're willing to be a student forever and, you know, work your tail off. And, and so with that, you, you didn't mention though, that you, you have, uh, you're a doctor, a medical doctor. 
Yeah, no, uh, and that's, I think that your advice is spot on. Uh, I give the same advice to my kids. And uh, I think, you know, I, I always had an interest. So I was, I was an engineer first. Um, so in college, I studied electrical engineering. And um, I, I, I had a feeling my first business was actually a security systems business. It was an electrical engineering project um, for dormitory security. Interesting. <laughs> it was a company called Campus Security. And uh, a... Uh, it was, you know, one of these unmet needs. A, uh, you know, unfortunately, a friend of mine had been raped in the dorm because uh-huh. someone propped the door open, uh, and uh, bad act propped the door open for the pizza guy, and a bad actor came in. And so I had this idea that well, maybe we could come up with this remote way that people could open the door from the pizza man for from their dorm room uh, just by listening to the touch tones at a at the uh, at the front door. Um, and uh, so we ended up outfitting. Duke's campus and then Princeton and some other universities. And so it was a, it was a fun little business. Uh, but I, I kind of had this feeling that um, it would be a kind of higher calling and a better use of engineering talent to apply it to medicine. So I, so I also studied biomedical engineering at, at Duke, uh, but then went on to you know, realize that I didn't understand how the body worked and kind of felt like, you know, I understand engineering, but I felt like I could be a better sort of biomedical engineer if I understood how the body works. So I went to med school at Hopkins um, where I did both medical training and graduate school uh, on that, on the retinal prosthesis work uh, for the PhD. And, and that, that turned out to be, I think a good decision. It was something that uh, made it easier to not so much because I wanted to be a practicing physician, but it definitely made it easier to talk to physicians and because of this whole language. Sure. And so I, I think, you know, in some ways that that was the most important part. It was kind of being able to speak the same language and kind of more efficiently um, kind of work on the problems uh, together collaboratively with the physicians. Um, you know, you could use the shorthand that, that they were used to using. So Yeah. No, uh, obviously, yeah, that, obviously, right, with, uh, with Second Sight, that really came in handy. It, it, it did. And, you know, kind of, you know, I think, you know, seconds for me, second sight was kind of the ultimate um, synthesis of uh, everything I had done up until that point, both sure. from the business perspective and the engineering and the medicine. And so it was kind of the, it was, it was the dream project, really. Sure. Um, of course. So right. It, uh, yeah. So, so it, uh, it was great. Great. So now, how did you end up at the FDA? So, and so going back to what I just said, right? You don't worry about your first job. You just get in the game. And so, so what brought you to the FDA after the biomechanical engineering, uh, your, your doctorate um, in medicine, and now you're working for the FDA, the government? Yeah, I guess I always had a little bit of an interest in government. So I had studied as an undergrad, I studied patent law. And I thought maybe I, at one time, I thought maybe I would be a patent agent, because uh, I had an interest in patents. And you know, now I probably have three, 300 patents or something to my name. Uh, wow. But um, so I, I kind of had a fascination with inventing always. And so I, I thought I might go that that route. Um, I think at the time I was looking, there weren't any openings uh, in the patent office, but they, there was an opening at FDA. And, and so the same thing I had at that point in my career, I had an interest in medical devices. So I'd already done uh, an undergrad in biomedical engineering and a, uh, and now this PhD in, in biomedical engineering and thought, well, what better place than the FDA to get exposed to 
cutting edge technology. I also had a fascination with cutting edge technology with the latest, uh, latest and greatest. And it really was because you were getting the thing I was intrigued by the FDA was you were getting to read documents uh, about devices that weren't public, right? These were confidential documents that companies were working on. It was the latest thing short of being in the company. But, and that was, I think that was really interesting at first, but it was also really frustrating because it, it, I realized that the people that were really having the most fun were the people that were at the companies developing the devices and not just you know, at the FDA, um, although the job was really important, you were, um, you were kind of a, a bystander kind of watching the work that sure. great work that these other companies were doing. And, and in a way, you were also kind of a roadblock to them. You were seen as this, you know, I, I think the people working at FDA really wanted to help get these products in the market. But, you know, the people sitting on the other side of the table and, you know, now being having been on both sides of the table, I can understand kind of both perspectives a little bit. It, um, you know, the FDA, I think, is often seen as a roadblock to... Uh, the people, the companies that are trying to get on the on the market, and they don't want to be seen that way. But kind of their role is is protecting the safety of the public, and so it, it's a challenging, it's a very challenging role that they have. Um, yeah, it is. No, it's it's absolutely true. So now, being part of the FDA and you know building second site, you're obviously, especially with a a retinal implant. There's a there's a lot of back and forth. And I remember having a conversation with Al about mankind and the inhalable insulin and how frustrated he was um, with that. But when you look at the FDA today, do you see what, what, what do you like about the changes that are taking place? Um, and what do you think is going to be a challenge going forward for, you know, startups? Yeah, so I think, you know, I, you know looking back, if I look back over the last 20, 30 years of kind of the FDA regulatory process, I think it, it's gone in cycles. You know, there've been periods of time when the FDA has worked more closely with companies and, uh, and really worked um, collaboratively to get products in the market. And then there've been other times where it's been more, they've had a more antagonistic relationship with companies and, uh, and they've really slowed. And, and you, can, you can track it pretty simply. There are tons of metrics, like how many products, how many PMA products make it to market per year and uh, it's pretty interesting to kind of watch watch that ebb and flow i think right now we're in a, we're in a pretty good place where congress has put a lot of pressure on the fda to um to help get innovative products to market and so there have been a bunch of initiatives like the breakthrough um uh the breakthrough uh product program which uh the orion this uh this direct brain stimulator that i mentioned uh, is part of that breakthrough process uh, and you know, just these relatively innovative processes to try to encourage companies to work more collaboratively with FDA and to and to speed innovation and innovative products to market. Um, having said that, it's still challenging. It's still you know, there's still a long list of uh, of expectations, you know, particularly for products that invasive products that that have safety um, concerns. Sure. Um, so I think you know I think the FDA is working really hard to to work with um, to work with folks, but uh, it's uh, you know it's an ongoing kind of discussion and process. I think sure to prove that. So if uh, a startup's listening and and they're they're looking to bring this product to market, what advice would you give them? 
you know, top two, top three um, piece of advice when they're working with the FDA? I think you know, there. I think there are a few things. One is sort of you work. Make sure you're working with experienced uh, uh, advisors and uh, and and personnel. I think that's you know, one of the most important uh, um, things is to uh, to work with a group that's been there. Uh, but I think beyond that, I would uh, I would you know kind of remember that the FDA is not this amorphous structure. You know, there are people. Uh, working there at the other side of the table, and so I think the more you can communicate, uh, and you know, kind of the more face, either face to face or on the phone or uh, by email, just the, the more communication, the better, so that you know the the, the people at the FDA really are trying to help, um, and so the better they understand and and trust what you're doing, the easier um, yeah. the process is going to be. Yeah, no, it's good advice. I mean, it's it's just like as I go. From specialty to specialty, spinal implants, neuromod pain, cochlear, ENT. I'm now in the cardiac cath lab is that the conversation I have is people are people, right? Doctors are doctors, but they're people. Yeah. It's the same thing with the FDA. They're human beings. Absolutely. You know, right? Yeah. Just, it, it, applies, I'm sure it applies to sales. It applies to, yeah, almost anything you do in life. It applies yeah. To yeah. So, no, it's good advice. So, I want to go back just one step and then and then jump forward. So, you're... Obviously, you were interested in neuromodulation and stimulating the retina. What, why? What, what was it about that that attracted your attention and your passion? I think there were, I think there were a couple things about it that were interesting to me. So I think the cochlear implants were always interesting. You know, this idea that you could restore hearing to the deaf. Uh, you know, my background was in electrical engineering. And so, you know, bl- blindness seemed like a, pretty significant challenge. So, I mean, one of the things that attracted to me was the challenge. I mean, it seemed like something that I could easily spend a career, um, quote, solving, you know, it sure. seemed like a problem that was hard enough that, you know, you weren't, it wasn't like a crossword puzzle. You're going to solve it in a few hours and, right, then, right. and then you're done with it. I mean, it seemed like something that, that I could really dig into for a long period of time. And, and, you know, and the truth is that it, Obviously, many people's you know, hundreds of careers worth of, of of problems to ultimately solve. You know, we with the Argus too. We you know created this first generation product, which was you know, life changing for people, but still just the beginning, right? Of, right. Uh, of where that can go. Um, so that that was attractive, and just the challenge of it. I think it was, uh, and the the potential impact um, to patients seemed. Uh, seemed yeah. potentially pretty great. And, and I thought I could do it. I mean, it was one of these things that I, I understood. I think that was another part of it. From the very beginning, I, um, so this, this felt my uh, PhD advisor was this guy, Gene Dewan. And uh, I met him, I was introduced to him by this guy, Dick Johns, who was the founder of biomedical engineering at, at Johns Hopkins, who I was working with at the time. And he said, I think you ought to talk to this guy, Gene. And so I met, I met Gene in a, uh, at, at lunch uh, one day at Johns Hopkins. And he said, you know, you ought to come to the operating room uh, tomorrow. I'm doing this experiment. I think you might be interested in. You know, I had explained my background in electrical engineering. So I went. So here I was a first-year medical student. I hadn't ever been in the operating room before. And I go to the operating room. and I'm afraid I'm going to touch uh, something and contaminate it. And um, And... He, he's doing this experiment, the first uh, experiment where he had this blind patient. He put one wire uh, in the fellow's eye and uh, it was hooked up to a rack of electronics. 
and they turned on, they flipped the switch, and the guy said, I see a spot of light. And he put a second wire in the, this blind patient's eye under local anesthesia, the patient's awake, and turned on the current again. And the guy says, now I see two spots of light. And kind of at that moment, I was oh my God. I'm like, if he sees two spots, the rest is just engineering. All we got to do is put a bunch of spots in there and we can sure. make pixels and we can. So I, I, that was kind of the moment that I was hooked what I felt like. In fact, I went back to my then girlfriend, now wife, and said, I, I think I know what I'm going to do for the rest of my career. And, That's uh, very cool. And, uh, and I was fortunate enough to, to be able to, to be able to, I didn't really know that, that was going to work out, but sure. Sure. I, I nope. certainly hoped at that moment it would. But it's interesting too, like I said, you know, getting in the game and meeting as many people as you can and, and sharing your, your interests. That's how this doctor invited you into an operating room. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, and, and, and there's a lot of serendipity in all of this, right? I think had, had Sam Williams not been an investor in Vance Bionics, you know, a second sight might not have happened. Sure. And, uh, I mean, there, so for sure there's a lot of serendipity, but I think being out there, like you said, um, kind of opens you up to the possibility of, of, of that serendipity happening. And then, and then just, and, and being willing to take, take those opportunities as they yeah. show up. So, so Al calls you, you have your meeting, he invites you out to LA and he wants you to join the foundation. What was it? Is it, was it just because of Al's presence and success? I don't want to say that was the only thing, but what intrigued you at the end of the day? What was the, the final, you know, decision-making process? You said, I'm doing this. Yeah, so so coming out to LA and joining the foundation, there were there were a few things that led into it. So you know, like any uh, that was that was probably my biggest and, and most important career move uh, looking back. And you know, part of it was LA. My wife was interested in in the arts, um, which kind of limited us to a big city. So the LA ticked that box. Sure. Um, and, and in fact, at the time, I told her. Um, you know, we'll go out to LA for a couple of years and then we'll come back to the East coast was the plan. You know, that was 25 years ago. Um, which is also how things go. Yes. Right. Uh, but, um, and when I came out to the foundation, I interviewed with a bunch of, a bunch of people and the people I met were, were really, really bright. Um, and really seemed really creative and, um, the, the kind of work they were doing was, um, was really interesting. And so I think it was the, you know, I think LA was a factor. Um, uh, but the bigger factor was the, the people I met and certainly Al himself, obviously, uh, was, you know, Al was really, uh, was so committed and, um, to, uh, uh, to patients and people, you know, I think, you know, his motivation wasn't, wasn't financial. It was, uh, it was very much, you know, how can we make an impact to help people? And the financial part of it kind of came as a natural consequence of doing something of value to people. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, you know, that really, that really resonated with me. And, um, so I decided to join the team and it was interesting at the time I you know, had interviewed at some other jobs and, um, the other jobs were, uh, were paying quite a bit more actually. And, um, you know, so that, be- that of course was a discussion with my, at that time, uh, wife and, uh, was, you know, you know, is, is this okay <laughs> to yeah. kind of make this yeah. decision to, to pursue something that I thought was more interesting and, um, 
and, and fortunately it was okay yeah. with her. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, it was, yeah, you know what? It's a, a similar story. When I was interviewing with um, Advanced Bionics on the pain side, um, like I flew it out on Thursday, you know, Friday all day, going through the interviews, end up in Al's office at the end of the day with Jeff. And at the time, I was in the spinal implant business. I was VP of sales and development at soft, Medtronic, sophomore Danic. Medtronic bought us. And he asked me, um, you know, what my income level was. And I told him, and I thought he was going to have a heart attack. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. You know, it's like, he's lowballing me already, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I remember actually, uh, I, uh, you know, was a, uh, in right undergrad school, uh, sitting actually in Al's house, negotiating, uh, my, uh, starting, uh, salary with them. And, you know, looking back, not realizing how incredibly outmatched I was. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, it's funny. To, it's funny to look back and think about it. Oh yeah, yeah. I I'm not kidding. When so I told Al salary, bonus, commissions, all that stuff. He's like, "Oh my god!" You know, and I'm like, "This <laughs> you're." what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, yeah. This is average comp, you know? Right. And, uh, and you know, he won, but I won in the long term for, for the experience and everything sure. worked out. Right. So absolutely. Yeah. So, and, and, okay. and in Go. truth, I mean, that's partly part of the way he was able to do, you know, leverage and do more was kind of his views on comp or that, you know, you had to be able to live, but you know, not much more than that, right? You didn't really need more than that. And, you know, the focus was, and certainly his focus in his life was entirely his work and, um, and what, you know, what impact he could make. And in fact, I, I was with him the day before he passed away and he had a stack of, you know, in the hospital, had a stack of, uh, papers for mankind that he was working on. And, um, you know, kind of knowing that, kind of going in and out of consciousness a little bit, but, but still so committed and wanting to do just one more thing. It's, it's fascinating. That's why I encourage everybody to look him up and see what he's, what he accomplished in his career. So, okay. So you get to second site. And so I have a, um, a little bit of background in neuromodulation from the pain and cochlear side. So I remember meeting you, um, and going down to your office in Silmar, right? Yep. Yep. And um, and explaining the device, and I got a chance to look at it. This is just when I was in Advanced Bionics, and manufacturing was down there, and um, and and showing it to me. Maybe if you can just explain to the audience what what it is, the current device, because I remember you telling me about the brain stimulation piece, which is really, I, I think everybody just is not going to believe what what you know, you guys have developed and what you're trying to develop and bring to market. Um, I, I tell people about it all the time and their mouths drop when they hear about the technology. So maybe you can start with the retina and then we can go into the, the brain, you know, stimulation device. Sure. The, um, yeah, in, in some ways it was a very simple concept. The, uh, so the cochlear implant, it was really a cochlear implant for the eye and the, the idea, and that was one of, actually one of the motivations in wanting to work with Al was that he had developed a cochlear implant and I was, I was still interested in trying to develop a, uh, the retinal implant. So, you know, having, having, working with someone who had developed a cochlear implant seemed like an, also a natural, but the, um, 
the cochlear implant was an electrical stimulator that took sound and or is an electrical stimulator that takes sound from a microphone and then sends it uh, wirelessly to an implant inside the ear that allows deaf people to hear and basically through electrically stimulating the nerves directly um, bypasses the dead hair cells uh, in someone's ear. So we, we kind of have the same idea that we could do for vision. So we could take, the concept was, could we take a video camera, you know, which had gotten much smaller because of cell phones, could we take a small cell phone camera, put it on a pair of glasses, and then wirelessly trans transmit that to a array of electrodes, a two-dimensional array of electrodes that would sit on the back of the eye, the retina, and create pixels or spots of light that would correspond uh, to the signals from the video camera and, and restore uh, vision to patients who had lost um, the input cells. Uh, you know, in the case of the eye, it's the photoreceptors instead of the hair cells. But, uh, but the rest of the retina in these diseases like retinitis pigmentosa was more or less intact. And that was one of the things we showed when I was in grad school was that these other cells were still alive. And so we thought we could, we could electrically activate them and um, create the perception of vision. And, and so we did that. We actually, our, our first six patients were actually, we actually took a cochlear implant that Advanced Bionics made and we built, a, we built a, an electrode array that we attached to the cochlear implant and put it in six patients. And all six patients were able to see spots of light. And we built a pair of glasses that they could walk around with and uh, and um, and that be, that was kind of that became the Argus One was really a proof of proof of concept. And uh, interesting that Al Mann actually didn't want didn't want us to do that experiment. He felt like it was a waste of time. He said you should go right to a thousand electrodes, thousand electrodes right day one. And I was like, well, okay, I'm not really sure how we're going to do that, but um, why don't we? Uh, uh, Let's you know modify this cochlear implant, make sure we're on the right track. And, and I think, although it took a little bit longer going the way I did, it, it it was helpful because we were able to get professional investment then. And so, kind of proving the concept in patients did, even though it took longer, did um, kind of solidify the uh, the company's path. I think and sure. um, and kind of just increased the confidence of everybody that we were on the right track and. You know, and then we built a, uh, a, uh, a higher resolution version of the Argus II with 60 electrodes and it was smaller and the whole thing fit inside the eye. And we cut the surgery from eight hours down to one and a half hours. So it's a much more commercially viable sure. version of it. Um, and so, and, I, and I'm not sure if we would have kept everybody's interest without the that early proof of principle that in uh, patients that were able to use, you know, even this crude device, it was only a 16 electrode device, but uh, we were surprised that a four by four array of, uh, of pixels was enough for people, for someone who was totally blind, to be able to play basketball with their grandchild or, you know, interact with the, the world and see where things were. And uh, it didn't take a lot of vision to make a difference. And That's so great. That, that was another realization that was, that was important. Yep. So, Kurt, what what um, version are they on today? So the Argus Two is still the the one that's available. Um, uh, so with sixty electrodes, so the same one that uh, that we produced, and 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 the company has actually shifted focus to um, to this new Orion uh, stimulator that has the potential to help um, you know maybe ten times the number of patients. Uh, sure. 
kind of all blind patients. And so that, that's kind of where the focus is right now. Um, although there is a, uh, a, a new pair of glasses that will support both the Argus 2 and the uh, Orion that, that, that hopefully will be released pretty soon. Okay, great. So um, with the, um, the current device, the Argus 2, um, what can a patient see? I, I know the audience is probably wondering, well, what are they, what are they seeing? Are they seeing like a, a regular vision, outline, shadows? Yeah, great, great, great question. So it's so it's grayscale. So it's like a black and white television. Uh, it's like a blurry black and white television is probably the best analogy I can have. It's it's low resolution. It's not anything close to normal vision. It's very it's very crude. It's only sixty pixels, a ten by six uh, array of uh, of pixels. But when they when the patients move their head, uh, if you if you can imagine cupping your uh, your hand around your eye and looking just out looking out one eye. And as you scan around with, uh, with your head, you can actually, your brain integrates the image. And so these patients, the same thing happens. So that even though, though they only have 60 pixels, as they move their head around, they can actually see a lot more than, than you would expect, which is 60 pixels. But, it, but it's grayscale. Um, and, uh, you know, at this point, kind of a blurry, blurry black and white television. We, we did do some experiments with color in the clinic. And so we got about half a dozen patients to see color um but haven't uh haven't pushed on that very much uh sure. very much yet. well it's i mean even you're saying well it's just you know you know 60 pixels it's amazing right i mean life-changing it's, it's life-changing you know so it's just like the cochlear implant when um when i first got into it and i went to um uh, one of the deaf schools in lombard illinois right outside chicago and I'm talking to a four-year-old who you would not have known was deaf in both ears, right? Because they got the cochlear implant when they were a baby. And you're like, your life is changed because of this technology. Um, but you don't know it, right? And, yeah. and it, it, until you experience something like that, when you're around these kids and people can go on to um, YouTube and look at videos of cochlear implants being turned on and kids' faces lighting up and even um, adults who lost their hearing a long time ago and the tears are falling and because it is, it's, it's life-changing. This is the technology. This is real medical technology changing lives. So I, I get jacked up about it. So no, no, no doubt, it's huge. Um, and when, actually, when I first came to LA, there was a, I was I got invited to Al was getting an award at UCLA, and um, he goes up on stage, and there's this little little kid, must have been maybe four years old. Um, who had received the cochlear implant. And this was kind of a lifetime achievement award for the impact he had had on people. And this four-year-old walks across the stage and says to Al, you know, perfectly, and wouldn't have been able to speak at all, but, but for the cochlear implant, uh, says, thank you, Mr. Man, for my cochlear implant. And he just broke down crying, picked the kid up, and um, a yeah. pretty touching moment. And, uh, yeah. You know, and you realize it was really, it couldn't have been a better introduction to to coming to L.A. and working yeah. with uh, Al on these products. No, that's great. Okay, so you've got to talk about this brain stimulation for vision because from what I've read, you know, and, and I am not a doctor <laughs> or an engineer, this is unbelievable technology. 
Yeah, and it's you know it's interesting. So you know, like the retinal implant, conceptually it really wasn't um, uh, that crazy, and it was uh, something. There was a there was a, a fellow uh, Bill Dobell who had actually done some experiments where he had put electrodes on the surface of people's brains and hooked them up to this connector in their head, like literally like kind of bolted a connector to their skull. Oh my gosh. And would, it was cra crazy experiments. And he, and he did this in about a dozen patients back in the early 1990s and plugged in, uh, you know, this video camera, which at the time, you know, took a whole backpack. Um, but conceptually it, it worked. Um, and these, these totally blind people were able to, to see with this approach. So I, I kind of knew it was possible, but there were, there were two problems that Dobell had. He, um, all of his devices failed uh, after about six, uh, six to nine months. And, um, and the other problem was that a number of his patients had seizures uh, mm. from, the, from the implant. So I thought if we could solve those two problems, uh, and I was pretty sure, it wasn't 100% sure, but I was pretty sure that we could solve those two problems uh, with better engineering that uh that we could make it work because because his patients got got significant benefit from it um until until the devices stopped working sure and so um so actually our, our very the very first thing we did there was a a, a friend of mine uh, founded a company neuropace which was a brain stimulator for an eight channel brain stimulator for epilepsy sure and, familiar uh, yep and so uh so i asked him if we if we could you know, borrow one of his devices uh, and, impl and implant it in a patient um, to, uh, to kind of test out the concept. So kind of back to the early idea where we tested out the retinal prosthesis with a modified cochlear implant, I thought maybe we could, you know, take one of uh, NeuroPace devices and uh, modify it and, uh, and test out the concept. And so we did that at UCLA um, with a, a doctor, uh, Nader Paradian, and, and it worked. Uh, this totally blind patient volunteer who was, who was an incredible person to volunteer for an experiment like this, sure. uh, was able to, uh, to see spots of light and, and the device worked over, you know, over a year. So that was kind of the first indication that, that a well-engineered device, um, would continue to work and wouldn't have the problems that Debell had. And, uh, and, you know, in the meantime, we were working on modifying we took the uh, the Argus implant and made some modifications to it uh, to let it work in the uh, to let it work in the brain. But it was basically the same concept. I mean, everything that we had built and developed for the Argus, we were able to kind of port over to a direct brain stimulator. Instead of having the electrodes sit in the back of the eye, we just put the electrodes um, on the surface. That just laid them on the surface of the brain, the visual part of the brain. And, uh, so about a year, you know, a year after that, we were able to implant the first Orions and we now have four that have been implanted at UCLA and two that were implanted, uh, at Baylor, uh, college of medicine in sure. Texas. and, uh, you know, and it's still early days, but the, uh, you know, we're about a year out in those patients, but the, uh, the device is working in, uh, in all the patients and, uh, the patients are seeing spots of light and we're kind of doing the kind of the next step, which is figuring out the best way to, to program the devices. Uh, cause the programming has to be a little bit different than in the retina and, uh, and is a little bit tricky, but, um, and, uh, and we did have in one patient, we did have a, a seizure in the clinic as we were turning the current up. So we've dialed it back and, and knock on wood, haven't had any seizures since. So, uh, so I think we're, we're on a good path. 
That's great. So are you expecting the vision to be the same as the Argus 2 or um, better? And I guess the follow-up is, can you put a larger, not a larger array, but more contacts yep. in that so, area? Yep. So I think the, uh, the, the data we have so far, it looks like it's better than the Argus in some ways and not quite as good in other ways. So we're, uh, you know, we're, it's, I, w- I would say n- net overall, it's comparable to the Argus. And um, uh, in terms of kind of what future possibility we have, there's definitely a lot more area. So um, the, uh, the space that we have to work with is much bigger on the brain than in the retina. Yep. There's def- definitely the possibility to put more, um, more electrodes. And, uh, and that's definitely one of the things that, uh, that we're looking at is yep. uh, what the benefit might be of doing that. Well, I mean, so you put it in perspective is it, this is what's crazy, you know, that when I when I talked to, about this technology to people, I said you're putting, let's call it a, a surface implant on the vision part of the brain and you're bypassing the entire optical system of your body, your, your eyes and stimulating your brain for vision. Yeah, I, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, and, no, it's, it's it's a bionic eye, right? It's, yeah, uh, it's uh, it's pretty special. In fact, that that was one of the motivators. You know, that was the bionic you know, six million dollar man was certainly from the nineteen sixties. Was one of the shows that I watched religiously as a kid. Yeah. Yep. No, I remember it. So, um, so now you uh, you spent twenty years at uh, at Second Sight. It's time to do something new, and you join the foundation again. And, uh, so what are you doing there? What's going on? How did, um, I don't know how much you can share with what the Alman foundation is doing, looking at technologies, what you're excited about. Yeah. And I can share about all that. So, uh, so the history of the foundation, the foundation, you know, and second sight really spun out of the foundation, um, as did advanced bionics yep. and, and really, uh, you know, over the years, uh, we were totaling up the other day. It was over $7 billion in market cap that was created uh, from products that originated at the foundation. And, and, and the model uh, has been uh, developing products uh, that had significant unmet medical needs and spinning them off as companies and um, so that the, uh, to be able to get the products to market. Um, and the foundation historically it could exit uh, and create a company at, at any point along from the concept all the way to to full-blown clinical trials. And um, so, uh, you know, for instance, one of the latest uh, company to spin out of the foundation is a company, Axonics, that um, uh, we had developed a product at the uh, foundation, a, a multi-channel stimulator that Axonics is using to treat overactive bladder and uh they they went public in october of 2018 and um as we sit here in november of 2019 are you know hopefully about to get fda approval for the product and um so that's that's kind of an exciting company it is yeah it is no so i i'm very familiar with exonics for um urge control and fecal incontinence i think they have fecal incontinence uh yeah. clearance with the fda they're waiting for urge incontinence and right. uh you'll you'll be happy to know that a lot of the advanced bionics um neuro stim guys are over there 
Awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think I think they 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 you know Ray Ray Cohn, the CEO over there, has put a uh, a wonderful team together, and uh, I think uh, you know they're going to do quite well. So that that's that's just the latest example of the companies that we've spun out um, internally. We're working on uh, some other projects. We're working on a sleep apnea project. We uh, are working on a uh, in, a fully implantable drug pump uh, that has multiple applications uh, for local. Uh, local drug delivery, controlled drug delivery, and um, uh, and and one of the other things that that we've done differently since I've come back to the foundation full time. So I, I had been the chairman of the board of the foundation for uh, the past twenty years or so, but uh, but now I'm active, actively working uh, with the team. And one of the things that we're doing differently is it occurred to me that while the foundation historically has incubated our own projects and our own companies and helped kind of facilitate the early stage stages of these companies, um, we could open that up and have a bigger impact by helping other startups and in the medical device space. So, so we've actually kind of opened up the incubator model where now we're incubating other companies that we didn't necessarily found or have anything to do with the, uh, the technology. So, we have a, a couple companies that are in-house uh, that are that are uh, using our facilities and having have access to our team because uh, we have an entire the, the foundation really is almost like a uh, self-contained medical device startup. We have sure. team rooms, quality regulatory, um, uh, HR, finance, uh, electron, electronics labs, mechanical labs, uh, clean rooms for manu- full-blown manufacturing facility. Uh, a um, uh, electrochemistry lab, a MEMS lab, a um, machine shop, and so, uh, and testing facilities like a scanning electron microscope and a uh, C. Actually, we have a, our own CT scanner, um, and so it, it occurred to me that we could we could make these make these facilities and people and resources available to other companies. So, so to it, we, and we're doing it in two ways. One is we're incubating companies physically where people might decide to co-locate with us. Uh, and, and then we're, we're working with about half a dozen other companies that are remote. So we have a company in Canada, a company down in Orange County, companies in San Francisco, that um, where we're, um, we're working to help them uh, to, to get to market. So, so one example is a company, Bivacor, that's based in Orange County. And when they came to us, they were... Uh, in animal trials for a total artificial heart, so a device that oh, wow. that would be a really tough, you know, interesting project and um, one that fit uh, the foundation's experience in doing implantable uh, electronics really well. And so they were in, an, in animals, uh, and we're having some engineering issues. And so we've we've worked with them on those engineering issues, and we're actually going to manufacture their first in human devices. And help them uh, through the uh, the FDA regulatory process to uh, to do the first demand with those uh, with those total total artificial hearts, which uh, obviously big impact uh, if we're successful, uh, like we like we hope to be with them. And uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, so we're trying to leverage, you know, and we're continuing to do our own projects, but uh, but also now work with other projects, uh, other companies. Uh, another That's one. That's fantastic. So. Yeah, no, it's a lot of it's and it's it's been a lot of fun for for me and the team to uh, to not only do our own projects but to have a chance to impact uh, the field in a broader way too. So, you, because this is all based around neuromodulation, um, are you just focused on that 
piece of it, or are you looking at anything? No, so we, we're looking a little a little bit more broadly. Um, so, if, you know, for instance, this this total artificial heart obviously is outside of uh, neuromodulation, uh, right? But we are we are trying to take advantage, you know, take advantage of the foundation's expertise, which tends to be electromechanical medical devices. So they don't, you know, not necessarily um, uh, in neuromod, although. Uh, you know, that's, uh, we certainly have a very deep, uh, deep bench and, uh, neuromodulation. So I'd say, uh, maybe half or more of the uh, products are in neuromodulation, but we're one of the companies that's incubating in house is a uh, sensor, um, a an implantable sensor, uh, company. And so, um, so we're definitely broadening the scope outside of sure. neuromod. No, that's great. Well, with an artificial heart, there has to be electronics, obviously, and that's where exactly. you guys have a great, right, a great expertise. I mean, that's amazing. Um, I, you know, and it goes it it goes to the legacy of of Al, right, and and what he's tried to do, and he'll and um, as he his his legacy will continue with with projects like this. No, no doubt. You know, and that's that's really a remarkable. A remarkable thing, and I, I've always been honored to have been a, a small player and part of what he's done. So um, this is just great to hear. Yeah, no, and it's really exciting to be able to uh, to continue that legacy, and that was something that was you know, personally important to me too. And um, and to uh, you know, I think it's something that he he would certainly have uh, been very happy about. Yeah, of course. How big is your team? So the team right now, so historically the foundation kind of goes up and down because uh, what will happen is as we build up a project, we'll, we'll hire additional staff. Uh, but then when the company spins out, a number of employees will go with the project. So right now we're at about 30 um, uh, and we're, we're kind of in that building phase again now. Um, so uh, the team is a you know, very, very technical team uh, where we've got, you know, again, we've got representatives of kind of every department that you would expect sure um, but it's a it's a small group like one regulatory person one clinical person uh a couple electronics people uh a, a couple people in software and a couple people on the mechanical side and um four or five in uh in production and uh, so it's um so it's a fledgling team that we're in the process of building up again now okay no that's great i mean that's that's exciting um, now can we, as an audience listening to this, cause you get a lot of people excited about these startups. How would we know when you spin off a company to follow it, to, you know, to watch it grow in the marketplace? Is it possible? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I think, you know, certainly on the foundation website, we're, we're trying to keep that more updated these days. And, um, with both our, the projects, uh, internal projects that we're working on, but also the companies as they spin out. And obviously, when they go public, then there's a, a ton of information about them out there. Um, but uh, probably our website is going to be the best place to get uh, current information on on what we're up to and kind of what the current stage of these projects are. Okay, great. No, it's good because I'm going to be paying a lot of attention to this. So it's it's so exciting. I love uh, I, I love all of this, um, and just to see the continued advancements that are being made. In med tech, med devices um, that are because a lot of people get down about 
where healthcare is going and, and from a sales perspective, everybody looks at how everything's becoming a commodity. No, everything that should be a commodity is becoming a commodity and the new technologies that are coming out are where the excitement is. And so you've got to, I always say that you've got to be a student of your game. You've got to pay attention. And the Alfred Mann uh, Foundation is a place that people should pay attention to because um, I didn't know all this was going on there. I knew you had some things that you were working on, but I didn't know Exonix came out of you guys, and, and I'm familiar with Exonix, so I'm a little embarrassed by that. So yeah, they were you know, they were 100% hundred percent Elman Foundation uh, project from the beginning. That's great. That's we, great. We uh, we formed the company and, and hired Ray originally, and and he's uh, he's taken it from there. But uh, it was. Uh, it was kind of the prototypical example of our of our startups. Awesome. No, that's awesome. So, well, listen, Robert, um, I really appreciate your time. Um, I know you're busy, obviously, with all the stuff that you got going on. And uh, I know my audience appreciates it. And uh, uh, any parting comments, words, thoughts, hmm. wisdom you want to share? No, James, it's, been, it's certainly been a pleasure talking to you. And uh you know, continued success and good luck with uh, future podcasts and uh, an honor to be uh, part of it. Yep. Well, no, I appreciate it. So Medical Sales Nation, you can find uh, Robert on uh, on LinkedIn, and then you also can follow the Alfred uh, Mann Foundation and, uh, and pay attention because be a student of your game. They've got great technologies obviously coming out and and have come out and uh, that's the future of our business so be a student of your game pay attention until next time good luck selling